0: Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Take your Bibles out
1: and let's open them to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. Today, we're going to talk about God's superhero. Um, how many of you growing up were comic book fans? few of you. How many of you, now that comic books aren't necessarily... Um, they're not as popular as they used to be, but the characters of comic books are just as popular, if not more popular, than they've ever been? They are... I mean, if you do a superhero movie these days. It is just about nearly a blockbuster success. Why, why do you think it is, and you don't necessarily have to answer, but just in your own mind, why do you think it is that people love superheroes so much? Is it because of the the, the special abilities that they have? Is it because of their, for many of them, the moral compass that they have that regardless of what goes on and what happens around them, even though they may struggle with a decision, they seem to usually always um, do the right thing. Maybe it's that idea that despite the challenges, the good guy seems to always win. I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, we love, or our culture does, loves the idea of superheroes. But as we think about those type of things, as you think about maybe whoever your favorite superhero may be, whether you're reading a comic book, whether you're watching a movie when that book is over or when that movie is finished and you go home, how many superheroes are at home? None. There are none at home. But as we open up our Bibles today, we're going to find a what you could call a superhero, but it's someone that you wouldn't expect. It's someone that you wouldn't pick. It's not the guy that you would say is going to be the hero of the story if you just list out the characters in the story. But isn't that the way Jesus does things? Isn't that the way that Jesus does things? That Jesus always has a tendency to find the guy that no one else thinks can be successful, to find the guy that no one else thinks can can be um, predictable, that can be purposeful in ministry, and he says that's the guy that I'm going to use to make a difference. And in this particular story, he did. So as you open up your Bible, I want you to kind of follow with me just a little bit and, and kind of set the stage a little bit for what's going on. Uh, the chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Luke give us what you could call an outline for Christian ministry, things that we have to be and are supposed to be for the cause of Christ. And uh, at the very beginning of, of kind of the day, if you will, or of chapter 9 that we see here, Jesus is going to send out, is going to send out his 12 apostles, and he's going to give them kind of some, some abilities and a mission, if you will, to go out and drive out demons and to preach the truth. He's also going to do that again with a with a larger group, um, the, the group of 72, as we begin the book or the chapter 10 here. And one of the things that I see here that I want you to kind of grab onto is that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. Okay. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. And he sends these guys out and he says, I want you to go out and I want you to use this, this spiritual ability to drive out demons. And I also want you to go out and (laughs) preach the word of God and speak the truth of about God. And if nobody wants to have anything to do with you, you just leave that town. He says, you know, go in, he says, don't take anything with you. Basically have faith that God's going to take care of you during this particular ministry that he was sending them on. So, can you imagine for a moment? Imagine for a moment. First, it's the twelve apostles that are kind of sent out, and then it's this larger group that's sent out. Imagine the excitement when they come back, and everything going on around them is is, is just. I mean, it is a mountaintop spiritual experience, and everybody was excited about the things that were going on. And then, and so, so remember that. Because we're going to come back to that thought. Then you then you move on to our particular story of the Good Samaritan today. And we have the idea that part of our ministry is we are neighbors to one another. And then as you go on to the last story in chapter 10, you see the story of Jesus in the home of Mary and Martha. And as we'll talk about very briefly here in a few moments, you see that it is our job to be worshipers to God, to be worshipers to God. So as this story is going on, as this story, it's not really a story, as, as this time, this, this moment in the life of Jesus is going on, Jesus has sent out these 12 men followed by these 72 men, and they're doing all of these miraculous things. Now, just think about it for a second from this particular view. How awesome would it be to watch somebody perform a true miracle? How cool would that be? To watch Jesus walk up to a blind man and actually heal him. How many of you would just stand there in awe and just be like, I can't believe, no pun intended, what I just saw. Now, how would it feel after you've seen Jesus do these things for him to say, okay guys, now you go do it. How exciting would that be to, to, to be able to go and do the things that you've seen Jesus do, to heal in ways that you've seen Jesus heal. And they come back and they're reporting to Jesus in this particular kind of instance, and they're telling about all the great things that happened, all the great things that went on. And then, and then, in the middle of all of this excitement, in the middle of all of this excitement, look at verse 25. On this occasion... The reason I wanted you to understand what's going on is because that's the occasion. There's this spiritual high going on in the followers of Jesus. On this occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, isn't that just like Satan? Isn't that just like Satan that in those spiritual high moments, he makes it a point to do whatever he can to tear you down? He makes it a point to do whatever he can to mess you up. He, does, he makes it a point to drag you down to his level when you are exceeding in the kingdom work of God. When we get to that place, when we're moving in a forward direction, when we have positive momentum as a church, we need to understand that those are the moments that Satan is going to attack us the hardest. And we just need to be ready. We just need to be prepared. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the armor of God in our last lesson on the book of Ephesians. That's what that armor is about. So that when those positive things are rolling, when those good things are happening, we can be ready to stand our ground and say, Satan, you're not going to tear this down. And so a teacher of the law stands up. And as all these people have gone out and helped people and loved on people and healed people and ministered to people, he looks up at Jesus and he says, uh, hey, Jesus, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, does that question have anything to do with what's been going on? No. He's just trying to throw a wrinkle in all the positive things that are happening. So Jesus knew he was an expert in the law. So what does Jesus do? Jesus turns around and answers the question with another what? With another question. And he says... What is written in the law? Hey, if, you, if, you're, if you're the expert, why are you asking me? You tell me what the law says. He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What's the answer here? What's the answer to to this grand question of eternal life. He says, very simply, you have to learn to what? Say it with me, love. You have to learn to love. Not just a little bit, not just some, not just when you feel like it, not with just with those who you feel are lovable, you have to just love. And so that wasn't good enough. wasn't good enough jesus looked at him and says hey you've answered correctly verse 28 jesus replied do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself what's the problem in that statement was he truly looking for an answer to a legitimate question no what was he looking he was wanting to justify himself he was wanting himself to look important he was wanting himself to look big and bad and impressionable in front of all these people who have just done all these great things through the power of God. He's going to come and try to make himself look good. And so he says, And who's my neighbor? And who's my neighbor? I can just hear the arrogance in that question. Because if he's a true expert in the law, does he know the answer? Yeah, he knows the answer. He's just trying to be a smart aleck in front of Jesus. And that doesn't really work. So Jesus replies, he starts in verse 30. A man was going down to Jerusalem when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, now we're all of a sudden introduced to some people here. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Let's stop right there for just a second. Let's talk about these guys. Who are the priests and the Levites? They are the religious leaders of the day. They're the preachers. They're the ministers. They're the guys that you go to when you need to to, to make a (coughs) sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. They're the guys when you've got questions about things in your spiritual walk, they're the guys that you go to. Now, here's a guy laying half dead on the side of the road, and these guys do what? They pass right by him. Now, you would think, and if you... Listen, okay, if you've been in church in any length of time in your life and you've read this story and you've heard preaching on this story, you understand the next few comments. The next comment is they are the ones that you would expect to stop and help, right? They're the ones you would expect to stop and help. But I maybe dig a little bit deeper into it. The fact that they are leaving Jerusalem and going somewhere else, this is just Matthew commentary. Take it and leave it. It doesn't matter to me, but it makes sense to me. If they're leaving Jerusalem, they're going in the opposite direction of the temple. To me, what it says is maybe they're going home from work. They've been at the temple working all day. They've been dealing with people. They've been been listening to people's problems all day. They've been making sacrifices all day. They've they've had a long day, guys. And their day is over. And they've clocked out. And then they walk by this guy, and they look at him, and from just their visual observation, he just looks dead. And now they, if they're going to do anything with this dead body, Then they're going to have to go back to the temple. They're going to have to go through a cleansing ritual. There's going to be several days that they're not able to do their job. It's just really, really an inconvenience. It's really just an inconvenience. And I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here, and it starts with this question of this fact that this guy's trying to justify himself. What he's trying to get us to understand here is that if we're not careful, even as Christians, we have to be careful with our attitude. We have to be careful with the way that we say that we love. We have to make sure that that love is not just there to justify ourselves, but to truly make a difference in other people's lives. You see, there's a lot of people, and these priests, and this Levite is a prime example of it, who their traditions, their rituals, and their rules of church are more important than the heart that is behind all of those things. Read that with me again. Their traditions, their rituals, and their rules of church are more important than the heart that is behind all of those things. What is the purpose of our singing this morning? Was the purpose of our singing to sound good? Was it? Now... Don't we prefer good singing as opposed to bad singing? Well, yeah, that's what we prefer, right? Would it be possible to, to, um, to put so much emphasis on our singing that it just all becomes about our singing being good and not about it being worshipful? You know, our singing is supposed to accomplish a couple of different things. A lot of times when we talk about singing, you ask the question, what's the point of our singing? Well, it's to praise God, and that is true, but there's a second and just as equally important thing that goes along with our singing, and our singing is about encouraging who? Each other. It's about encouraging each other, about lifting each other up. Our singing's not just about God, it's not just about myself, but it's about the other person sitting in the pew in front of you, behind you, wherever they might be. We're supposed to be singing and making melody in our heart and making a joyful noise for God and for other people to encourage them. It's not just about sounding good. But we can make it about that. We can make this worship service so ritualistic that we just might as well not even show up if we forget the heart behind everything. And if we're not careful even though we say we're not going to, if we're not careful, we, are, we can get there. We can be that way, whether we want to admit it or not. This priest and this Levite, they would have never admitted that they did anything wrong. But we have to make sure we don't fall into this idea where we're all about the actions and not about the heart behind those actions. That's the point that he's trying to make. And before the next person walks by, before we talk about the Samaritan, I want us to flip to the back end of this chapter because he's going to make this point again. Go with me to chapter 10 and verse 38. As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. She had a sister called Mary Mary, who sat at the feet of the Lord listening to what He said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What's the point Of what he's trying to say here here's here's the idea we love jesus we love him by spending time with him and learning everything we can and we obey him and love our neighbors by serving them out of compassion now why was martha why was martha getting it what what was she trying to do she was trying to prepare everything for Jesus so that it would be just right, so that he would be impressed, so that he would be happy with the meal maybe that she was fixing, that the, the table would be fixed just right when he sat down. And it says that she was distracted, that she was distracted. One of Satan's greatest weapons is the weapon of distraction, of making you feel like the most pressing thing is more important then the most important thing. Have you ever been that pl- to that place in your life? I've always felt like, you know, many of our, of our of our young people, when they graduate from high school, the statistics are usually that 50% of them remain faithful to the church and 50% of them leave. Now, the last study that I read was of that 50% that leave through their college years, nearly 80% of them, come back to Christ. Now, it it sounds bad when you're like 50% of our high school seniors will abandon their faith while they're in high school or while they're in college. But when you back that up with, but nearly 80% of them are going to come back, you think, okay, why is that? Well, why is it that they've abandoned their faith for a period of time but then come back? It goes back to that idea of Satan is great. At making the most pressing seem to be the most important. When you go to college and you're in a college atmosphere for the first time and you've got real college classes for the first time and you've got real deadlines that are, that are so massive and you've got these big papers to write, but you're also trying to live a, a new social life that you've never had before. Satan makes those really things that in the grand scheme aren't that important, but they're the most pressing. And he makes you think that you've got to focus on those things. And then usually what happens is these young people come back around, they realize these things, they have have a spiritual awakening, if you will. They get married, they begin to have kids, and they realize, I need to be back at the most important place. But it doesn't just stop with our young people. He does it to us all the time, every day in our life. And what Jesus is trying to get us to understand through this story is, hey, look, we can be busy as a church and still not be doing what God wants us to do. That's a scary thing to realize. We can be busy as a church but not be doing what God wants us to do. He says this, you love me by spending time with me and learning everything you can from me. And then when you've done that, you turn around and you go show love and compassion to everybody. Now, Let's go to our our final guy here the superhero of our story. Verse 33. But a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and he saw him and I like this verse this line and took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expenses you may have. That's a very short story, part of this story. It's a part of the story that we're all very familiar with. But why did the Samaritan take care of this man? Because he had Compassion. Because in his heart, he knew what his responsibility to his neighbor was. He understood who his neighbor was. And he understood, if that's what this means, then this is how I have to live my life. Guys, how many of you, when you turn on the news, get on your social media, and you look at what's going on in our country, how many of you, does it just break your heart? It does mine. I've, I've, I've gotten off of some of the social media stuff. I've, I've quit checking Twitter. I'm kind of pretty much just on Facebook right now because I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of the, the, the pointless bickering and the, 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 I don't know if you're supposed to say this as a preacher, but the stupidity of some people on both sides, on both sides. And then I think about the church, and I think about what Jesus says. He says, you are the light of what? Finish the statement. You are the light of the world. When people see us, they should see nothing but love. When people see us, they should see nothing but us having pity and compassion for other people. When people see us, we should set the standard for love. And their only complaint should be that we love too much. Amen? Jesus looks at this guy in verse 36 and says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of robbers? And it wasn't enough that he kind of shot his story out of the water all to begin with and just kind of made him look this small with the story. He then kind of dug that knife in a little bit deeper and made him answer the question. And he couldn't even say the Samaritan because the Samaritan, this was, if you want to talk about racism, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They could not stand each other. The Jews looked at Samaritans as this half-bred group of people over here that would never measure up in their eyes or definitely in the eyes of God. And this expert in the law, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He replies, the one who had mercy on him. It cut him that deep. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. There's some passages that just amaze me when I think about this idea of go and do likewise. First, in First Peter chapter 2, Peter captures this really well. He says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrificial sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12 in verse one, he tells us that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. In Romans chapter fifteen, Paul writes, "I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of God's, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the uh, to the Gentiles, with the primary, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God." sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the connection between these three verses and the last thing that Jesus says here of go and do likewise? We are the priesthood of the kingdom of God. We are the the, the priests. We are the Levites. We are the people that should be making a difference. And what I hope and what I pray is that when people pass by our building, when people see this physical representation of this spiritual church, I hope that they think there is love in that place. There is forgiveness in that place. There is hope in that place. And my challenge to you this morning is the same challenge that Paul and Peter gives, and most importantly, the same challenge that Jesus gives. I challenge you this week to go and do likewise. When you have a moment, when you see the opportunity to stop and to give love to a situation, when you see that moment where there's a lot of of challenging things going on and you can give a little bit of love, make sure you give. don't walk away. Don't be afraid. Simply share the love of God. Go. It seems to be a favorite word of Jesus. Go and do likewise. Go and make a difference everywhere you are. Let's close with a word of prayer this morning. God, I thank you for an opportunity to share this great story as we move through some of our favorite parables, God. It's so easy for us to it's so easy for us to hear these stories and to think that I've heard them, I know them. There's nothing new I can learn from them, but God, help us to just open our hearts to these familiar stories and to realize that they still carry a powerful message. And maybe today, more than ever, this story of the Good Samaritan is something that we need to be reminded of, that as a church, God, we should be a beacon of hope in Halival. This should be a place that we make a difference we should be defined by the love that we show. And help us to be that church, God. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be the popular thing. It's not always going to be people's favorite thing. But God, you never called us to be popular. You never called us to the easy things. You just called us to follow you. And today you say to go and live this life and help us to live this life, God. God, I pray for those that need you in a spiritual way this morning. Those that need to let go of the sins that they're harboring, that they're holding on to, help them to let go of those things this morning and turn those things over to your forgiveness and your grace, knowing that you'll wipe their their slate clean so that they can begin a fresh life, God. And if they need to have their sins washed away this morning, simply obeying your words of believing and be baptized, that they will be saved. Help them to understand that and know that, God, that they can have a salvation relationship with you this morning. Thank you for Jesus, not just for his stories, but most importantly for his sacrifice. May we always look to you and to that moment and live a life worthy of it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If there's anything you need this morning, come as we stand as we sing together
0: If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast provider. Also, We'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 Ninth Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 930 and Wednesday evenings at 630. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.